be here to talk to you because that's how I feel about you. <laughs> ah, please, please. Yeah, this is a long time coming, Will. Yes, sir. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And I think what prompted me was I was, you know, chasing down Instagram like every other fool. And uh, I saw a comment you were making in a session. And the reference was basically, um, as I interpreted it as being kind of a flow, a flow concept of training. And I went, yes! And it just lit me up. And I said, man, I've got I've to talk to this guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do, do me a favor. And I mean, I've been chasing down everything that's posted about you to learn as much as I can. But there's, uh, there's some synergy. And I'm, I, I guess that's the key word here. There's some synergy that uh, I, I just have to delve into with you. And uh, I think we should start by how we met, because I thought yeah. that was pretty awesome. Yes. Yes. So I was actually uh, with my uncle because he, you know, my uncle, you know, third generation from my grandfather to my uncle to myself, we've done martial arts in our family. And he was doing a presentation in Atlantic City and he had some gentlemen with him, one of them being actually your brother, Steve. <laughs> and he and I were talking and he was asking what I was doing, you know, what I do. And when I explained what I do, he's like, oh, you make, you know, my brother, you know, is in that field, you know, and, and he mentioned your name. I said, are you kidding? I'm a huge fan of, of your brother. And he immediately called you Yeah. and said, you know, I'm a fan of yours. And he said, you know, and he happens to be, you know, Master Huang's nephew, you know, and said, you know, it's like, because you know, the connection, you know, your brother sure. has with him. So, you know, I, I obviously geeked out and was very excited that, you know, you, were, you two were related. And I, and I said, I was a huge fan of your, your concepts of running mechanics. I think you're brilliant. I think I, you. definitely, I think you're a genius. And I, I had been following you for a while prior to that. So to find out that you are actually related to your brother, who is also, you know, a boss unto himself. You know, what he does for a living, what he does for people is also very brilliant. You know, and and he's very accomplished and he's a wonderful human being. So it was great to spend some time with him. And it was great that he actually immediately facilitated a connection with us. And he said, hey, and then you were very gracious from there saying, hey, we got to get together. Yeah, that was that was that was a pretty cool situation. You know, what I really enjoyed about that, to be very honest with you, is that my brother and I, we know we're not like we don't talk to each other all the time. You know, you would think brothers would do that. Um, but. Uh, we we've always been close and is when you're close, you don't need to be with each other all the time to make it work. Right. right. And uh, I, I guess the long story short in the regard of the martial arts that he's been involved in pretty much all his life is I introduced him to it. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was in the military, I was in the army and my younger brother, you know, I'm thinking, you know what? I need this kid to be able to take care of himself, you know, because I'm going to be gone. I can't, I can't be here for him. He needs to take care of himself. So I took him down to uh, the dojo that uh, it was Russ Hankey. Who was, oh, yes. I, I know Russ Hankey very yeah. well. <laughs> well, so Russ was, Russ was basically where we live, was pretty much a legend 
in yes. his time. And uh, so I took him to Russ and I paid for, I don't know, I paid for a few months of, of uh, his training. And he, I, he never looked back. I mean, he was, I think he was, uh, geez, I think he was like 13 years old, something like that. Wow. Uh, yeah. And he, uh, and he just never looked back and, you know, moved on and on and on and on and uh, dedicated, so dedicated to, to the, to the art. And uh, I mean, I followed him for quite some time in what he, I mean, he's very accomplished. He's very, very accomplished in what he does. Uh, and aside from that, you know, he's also, I mean, we are polar opposite personalities. You know, I'm kind of a, uh, Lucy Goosey, you know, um, B personality type. He's very much an A personality type. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's it's interesting because, you know, we we are very different characters. But uh, when he connected with with uh, you and me, um, I love that because it gave him a chance to get a sense of the scope of the things that I do. Yes. You know, to run into someone in New Jersey that knew me. You know, he's yes. like, what? You, you know, my brother, you know, it's like, so I don't think he really gets the whole picture of what I do. Because, uh, right. you know, we, we don't talk about it much, right? Right. <clears throat> but anyway, it was great. And I, I, I was a pleasure getting a chance to connect with you. And, you know, knowing that you're in New Jersey and I missed you in New Jersey when I was there. <laughs> Damn it. You know? We'll definitely make it happen. And again, you know, what a great older brother, you know, to set him up with Russ Hankey, who is a true legend and a, a caliber person. And and then your brother being that so. And again, you know, he's your brother, so he doesn't really get the scope of, of what you do and how you influence people. So it was great for me to really, because I let him know that I was I was a true fan, that it wasn't just a, oh, I know who he is. It, I geeked out on him. I said, yeah, yeah. you got to be kidding me. And my uncle got a good kick out of that, that too. He goes, get out of town, you know, and that, and I really believe that in, in, in any field, it's a very small niche, you know, and you may not know the person, but you know of the person. If you're a doctor, you know the best oncologist right, in sure. your area, country and the whatever. And, yeah. and I think the same is for training. I think the same is for any field, you know, because people like to keep abreast of what's going on. And as far as, you know, what you do, you are, I consider you the best. You oh, know? Thank you for that. No, uh, but I... I, that's why I followed you. So it's, it's, you know, it's it's not me just saying that based off of coincidence. You know, your your philosophy, your results, uh, the pe the caliber of people you work with, which I think is a huge component from your brother to Russ Hankey to my uncle. I think that speaks volumes in terms of the circles and the people we choose to associate with. You know, just by pure coincidence. You know, like it's not coincidence. You know, you you it see right. people appreciate. Because what most people are doing is ineffective and inefficient. And so when you, meet, when you meet people who are ahead of the curve and generously want to just share them the information with people, I mean, that's, that's the sense I get from you, that you just want people to understand these simple concepts of VO2 max, what the numbers mean in terms of relative you know, application as opposed to not getting hung up on numbers which most people do because they don't know you know they they don't know what why that could be good or bad to, contingent you know upon performance and so forth so i i love that you are very niche you are very much a garage lab which to me the most brilliant people tend to be very uh only the 
the industry people tend to know people. You know, they're not like the, have the hugest following like an influencers, but you know, who are the athletes and trainers going to? That's where you really have to follow the trend. Right. Well, you know, the the you touched on a few things that are, are dear to my heart, and um, the 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 measuring how the energy system operates is is principally what I've been about for nearly 30 years. And um, it's taken me a long time. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this because I've said it a lot, is this, this recent book that I wrote, it took me four years to actually wow. to throw, to throw that out there. And um, what I caught my, and by the way, I wrote it three times, 90% through and, and scuttled it and started again. And uh, it was funny because I was very um, busy with my podcast during that time. And I was always talking about the book coming out, Training the Dark Side, Training the Dark Side. And uh, conceptually, I, I felt the need to reveal what I believe is uh, left aside. You know, and you've, you've said this, and I, that's what lit me up, is like you were talking about segmented training, where people yeah. are isolating purpose. And they're, right. you know, they're, they're stacking things together in hopes that maybe at the end of the week, the month, their process will gel and become what they hoped for. And yeah. I, I think that that's a huge mistake. And it took me a long time to figure that out, uh, especially where the energy systems are concerned. But it parlays into everything in life. I absolutely believe that to be true. And uh, what I did, uh, the first book I wrote, I, I, I fell prey to what most common uh, coaches and clinicians might do, which is to just blurt out a bunch of stuff that everybody's already talking about, right? So I went into this, you know, this uh, uh, commonly offered up periodization process where you do this, then after you've done this for a while, you go do that. And when you've done this for a while, you go do that. And, uh, you know, where the energy system is concerned, you know, people are developing a base and they're going to dedicate like 10, 12 weeks worth of very low energy training in hopes that their aerobic system is going to improve. They're going to parlay that into some more intensity. And essentially what they're doing is they're trading. So they, they, they waste 10, 12 weeks of training on a system that they're going to dispatch as soon as they leave that system and go on to the other system. And, and it just, I just caught myself getting caught up in it. And one day I said, you know, I've been testing athletes. I've tested, this is crazy. And I say this a lot as well, because it, not because I brag about it, but because it surprises me. It yeah. blows my mind how many people I've actually tested. Yeah. And from various walks of life, I'm not like okay, I'm the I'm the running guy or I'm the right. triathlon guy. I've taught I've MMA fighters, professional hockey players, uh, professional boxers, um, you name it. I uh, Irish uh, dancers, you name it. I've tested it. Right? right. As a matter of fact, I used to do a gig with uh, ESPN Sports Science. Oh, they would invite me in to do some assessments on some character and I would never know who it is. They'd say, Hey, look, uh, we want you to come in and, and test this guy. And I'm like, who is it? Well, okay. He's a race car driver, you know, like Tony Kanan, who's a formula one race car driver. They said, we want you to test him. And then we're going to do some various things to him. And then you're going to, you're going to spill out what your thoughts are about this. I tested, uh, what's her, her name always escapes me. 
Um, this girl was uh, a wheelchair racer. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, what is her name? It'll come to me. She has won every major marathon in a wheelchair like five years consecutive, you know, uh, to the Olympics and whatever. Um, and, you know, I tested her on this little drum situation in a wheelchair. I've tested, right. I mean, I've tested professional soccer player. You name it, I've tested it one time or another. Yeah. And so it occurred to me, as a matter of fact, there's a CrossFit athlete that came to me and wanted me to write something for CrossFit. Right. And I said, well, I could probably do that, but I, I've never been in a CrossFit gym before. I don't, that's not my, it's not my jam, right? Right. But I started looking at it. And I said, you know, I keep seeing the commonality with CrossFit. Is I see these athletes go hard and end up on the floor. Right. And then they, their friends are fist bumping them. Yeah, nice job. Nice job. I said, well, wait a minute. You're on the floor. <laughs> you know, right. it sounds to me like you just kicked your own ass, right? You didn't right. get a chance to really uh, um, come away from this successfully, honestly. Right. So I started working on the energy system for those type of athletes and had profound results from it. And so it just got me thinking and I started, you know, the gears are turning and I'm trying to figure this out. And it occurred to me that we don't have two energy systems. We have an energy system and there's a low aspect of the energy system. There's high aspect of the energy system. And if you try to segregate those components, then to no avail. I mean, so I, I'm an, I coach athletes, right? So I have athletes I coach all over the world. And many of them I never physically see. We, you know, I talk to people in the Middle East. I talk to people in Africa, all, all over the place. Right. Um, and um, they will go to a race, and everything I've taught them, everything I want them to do, it goes out the window when the when the gun goes off. Mm. So somebody goes out fast and hard. They try to chase them. They're not prepared for it. Right. You know what I mean. So they they they're always kind of um, within their own ability and hoping that that will carry the day, <laughs> right? So right. I try with uh, the flow method of training that I've used, and I, I, you can, I want to hear from you on this, is uh, I want them to be prepared for whatever comes to them at any given time. Correct. So if you need to go out hard, you, you need to be able to answer that call. If you Correct. need to have the endurance, you need to be able to answer that call. And if you segregate these components of your training, odds are, it's not gonna. It's not gonna bode well for you. Right. So, and again, I, I was very excited to hear you talk about this. And I, it might be a little bit of a different world, but commonly the same thing. When you when you're training athletes, um, you, you I'll let you say it, but I mean, my assumption is is you don't allow them or you don't you don't present them with a concept of, okay, we're doing uh, biceps today, and then we're gonna do, you know what I mean? No. No, and, and to illustrate that, whether it's athletes and just like with you, I work with everyone from, you know, Gen Pop. You know, I, I was training, you know, at the time, he was the head oral surgeon in New Jersey. He's now retired in, in, in Pennsylvania, but, and he lost 160 pounds and we trained him and he, he got very strong, healthy, agile. And he was like, wow, that was very aerobic. And I said, that's very ignorant of you to say, Doc. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, I'm going to infect your pinky with the swine flu virus, but don't worry. It's just your pinky. And he said, you know, that's a really great point. You know, the, you know, and I appeal to physicians and people who understand because it's like to look at the, at the body that way. And if you want to do that 
with the specialty because you the specialty is needed like a pitching coach but eventually you need that player to functionally work with the rest of the baseball team so that attribute that you brought up is great but then you have to blend it with all the other attributes and that means you know uh resilience against injury hitting running all these other factors just because you work pitching with them so what that's it it's it's ironic because in terms of human nature and culture most people do not like to be labeled for one asset or aspect of themselves meaning oh that's the rich guy that's the tall guy the looks or 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 an attribute that does not make an experience or a, a person and i think that's what we're looking for when we're training with people is to give them a wonderful foundation and have them funnel their skills to their specificities based off of this capacity that's built in exploring all. And even our traditional education system, you know, is built that way in terms of you're trying all these different fields to see what suits you. And as you get better, then you learn to choose a specialty, right? A master's program, you know, PhD program, but you still need fundamentals that even if you were bad in a particular skill set, you had to learn the ability to get better at geometry or get better at, at microbiology just to pass that course if you want to become said doctor or whatever skill set. So yes, in terms of training, I think flow is really important in regards to, you know, I base my training off of three things and I, I can say them very succinctly. So I believe in gravity. So whenever we technically set anybody up to lift, to move, it has to be in relation to and respect to gravity. And people don't do that. People sometimes, they, they just do a push up their arms in any direction. They're not lined up in regards to that. And it depends on what they want to do. Do they want to be more efficient in doing more push ups? They, do they want to stress a certain muscle? Then you have to change the angle, maybe, right? So your relationship to gravity. The seventh, second thing is everything works off of the flow. And I define the flow off of peristalsis or the pump. Everything works off of some type of compression and expansion, whether it's the tides ebb and flow, your heartbeat, your digestion system, your waste management system, you know, contracting and relaxing a muscle, very similar. And that's what I found. A lot of people think, oh, I have a back issue. I just got to stretch it out. It's like, it's like saying, try to only address something via a bicep muscle without its relationship to the tricep muscle. And then how that synergy stabilizes the joint complexes around it. And so I think that's a really important thing is that amplitude of the pump, which is the flow, because if you lose, if your capacity for pump, it defects your technique or your relationship with gravity, right? Because you start falling apart literally at the seams, yeah. right? Yeah. And my final belief is in order for application to happen, it all somehow has to be connected. So your structure and your motion has to marry in dimensional movement. And most people are fixated in one particular track, they favor one leg, they favor, you know, uh, one particular attribute. And that, that again, runs its course pretty quick for people. And if people want longevity, and that's one of my fortes, is giving them that toolkit. I think that's really important. You know, I'm running a bunch of clinicians and UFC coaches uh, through an old program. I was hired to, to share this with a group. Uh, for MMA fighters, I called it bar to club belt progression. I, I so saw that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I see a lot of trainers having their their fighters deadlift very heavy up until the fight, and that's a very 
counterproductive thing because it teaches them to brace, it gasses them. Even one of my elite fighters saw another well-known fighter for his conditioning gas prematurely. And I asked him, why do you think that was? And it was very clear that he and his trainer were posting him deadlifting like a week before his fight. And all that bracing mechanism is great for strength as a foundation, but not great up until the fight. So what I do is I progress the tools when you take something heavy like a barbell a few months out to dumbbells, which you go lighter in weight, you may be able to deadlift, let's say 300, 400 pounds, you drop to weight, you drop to 80 pound dumbbells, you go to kettlebells, which are like 54 pounds, and then you go to weighted clubs, which are like 20 pounds, let's say. So you're descending in terms of weight, but you're increasing dimensional sophistication because the tool or the implement requires it. So the grip strength that you develop, deadlifting a barbell, lifting dumbbells and swinging kettlebells dynamically, and then swinging a, a fairly light club, you will retain that neural efficiency and reduce your likeliness of injury as you get closer to the fight, which just makes logical sense in terms of performance. Their goal as an MMA fighter is not to power lift and not to be the best power lifter. Their goal is to supplement, and they're already doing a ton of training through their you know, conditioning, whether it's you know, traditional running, whether it's bag work, whether it's, you know, and then they wrestle and then they do jujitsu and then they do kickboxing or boxing. So they're already taxing. And you know, again, they're not different energy systems. You're right, it's one energy system teaching it to be adaptive and functional and fluid. And, and that's the most important thing. That's what makes someone vibrant in terms of even health, right? It's being exposed to multiple germs and, and bacteria and so forth. So your body acclimatizes, so you become very robust. Right. Yeah, so um, a couple of things that you talked about that I absolutely agree with you uh, is, you know, the, the presence of gravity and the importance of relating to gravity. Because I'm working with runners and, um, yes. you know, I got onto working with running mechanics, learned it through uh, bike fitting. I used to work with triathletes and I, I became a bike fitter out of need. I mean, somebody once upon a time asked me to help them fit their bike and I had no idea what that looked like, even though I had been racing triathlon myself. And uh, I came to find the importance of positioning yourself biomechanically on the bike correctly so that your force production improves and what have you. Yeah. So I hired, I, I, I sought out this guy, the, probably one of the, the premier bike fitters in the country. And I got on the phone with the guy, I said, look, uh, he was, he lived in Washington and the weather was crap at the time. And I, I said, look, dude, I'm in Southern California. I got a nice little guest house. I've got a nice pool. I said, you know, we talked a little bit. I said, take you out, get you some margaritas, you know. And I talked the guy into coming down and spending like a, a week with me. And uh, to traditionally what he does, he goes to bike shops and, you know, he has a group of these, you know, mechanics and whatever, and they, they go through this whole process of bike fitting. I said, I don't want to do that. I want just me and you're going to mind melt. I'll bring people in. We'll, we'll fit them, whatever. And uh, I got onto it. And then, you know, the revelation for me was when you fit the bike correctly, there's five points of contact, your hands, your feet, and your butt. Uh, and when you get that right, you don't have to look back. You're right. run, running is an open chain exercise. And when you toss yourself in the air and you come back to earth, it's either going to go well, it's going to be uh, an opportunity to garner energy and, and, and move it forward, or you have a collision that you have to overcome. Yeah. So it became um, 
interesting to me. And then I really started to get into it. And this is way back when you right. know, most most everybody was heel striking. Most everybody was wearing those, you know, pronounced heels on their shoes. And, uh, you know, it was like shooting ducks in a barrel. It was so easy to show them the flaws in the way they were moving and the corruption in the way they're moving. And back then, too, there were the injuries with patellofemoral issues. Everybody had knee problems. Everybody was hamstrings, IT bands, low back. Everybody was just jacking themselves up because they're putting on more and more volume that they're not, a, you know, they're not in a position to take on. Right. And I've said it a million times, if I said it once, you know, it becomes a function of your strength to weight ratio, how much your body will put up with and how much, how much you expose yourself to whatever it is that you're hurting yourself with. And yeah. some people, you know, I used to have groups of people that say, okay, put your hand up if you're over 20 miles a week. You know, you might see a couple hands and over, over 30, over 40. And everybody seemed to know what their break point was, right? They, right. Knew, they knew where it was, where they had to back off and they had to take a week or so off. And then, you know, revisit the same, you know, catastrophe that they were in before and hurt themselves right. some more. So all I did is I just started correcting these problems with people. So, you know, again, getting back to the gravity thing, it's inertia. It's uh, opposition to gravity. And yeah. the more you can harvest the energy that comes from gravity and put it to work, um, you you are no longer having to do the work. Correct. And and I'll get people, I'll get them on my, my high-speed treadmill, I'll get them out there, and I can see them laboring and then kind of guide them into a flow where all of a sudden you can almost feel it in the room that the energy just went down. Right. It just got easier to do what he was doing and actually right. able to do more than they were doing before with less effort. I've yes. done it with people with their heart rate. I'm looking at their heart rate, get them into this position where all of a sudden they're traveling very nicely and the cost of work starts falling. And so it put me in a position where I found myself doing these clinics all over the country. Uh, based on demand, it wasn't, wasn't like I have this big marketing engine that's, you know, out there, you know, trying to get me into places. People would call me up. I mean, literally, I get a call, I get an email or something from somebody I don't know. Hello, what's it going to take to get you to come out here? We talk it through. I tell them what the, what the uh, you know, the scenario is. They fulfill uh, the need and I show up. And I mean, literally, I've been, I've, I, I was thinking about it the other day. I think I've been to 12 states. And many of them I've been uh, multiple times. I've been to Jersey, by the way, uh, three times. <laughs> three times. I've been to Jersey, Philly, uh, Vermont, Chicago, uh, Maryland. I mean, I'm just thinking around the eastern seaboard. I'm not even talking about the, the west or the midwest. And right. every bit of it over the past decade or so has been someone got a hold of me and asked me to come. Um it's never like I'm reaching out. We need to go to Florida next week. I want to go to Florida. Let's go to Florida. It's never like that. It's always somebody just got a hold of me. And yes. if it if what I was doing wasn't working, I wouldn't be getting those calls, right? Right. Every right. bit of it's always been kind of a word of mouth kind of situation. But anyway, um, enough about me and that. I, I just I'm really. Uh, I saw you do a thing, and I don't know specifically what the lecture was about, but you were talking about the one, two, three from the shoulder to the fingertips, from the, from the shoulder to the hip, from the hip to the ground, and you were doing this three, two, one, one, two, three, one, two, three, three, two, right. one, just essentially demonstrating how the body was operating in kind of a flow pattern. Correct. Caught my attention, right? And um, 
Can you elaborate on what those those concepts were and what you were really talking about? 100%. First off, I want to preface, I can relate to you because I've gone to like the Ukraine and the UK all because people just asked me to. Yeah. Very similar to you. And, you know, and they asked me to come back. And so yeah. I, I think I think that's a wonderful way to be and see the world, you know, yeah. is to see people are very welcoming. And to your point about physics and inertia, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it and we'll have to get you a copy either through your brother or through my uncle. My grandfather's book is the first martial arts book to have a chapter on physics. So it actually has physics formula, it, you know, like, and for a book, you know, the Korean one was published in the 60s, the English version, I think, 70s. So it was very, it was the first time anyone actually put in a chapter on physics in a martial arts book, you know, to describe. I had, I had a copy of that book in my hand. In so, San Diego, there was, a, there was a tournament in San Diego, and my brother was going to be there. And because he doesn't live in California, I knew he was going to be there. I, I went down to attend the, 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 the uh, competition. And Wangi was there. Yes. And he offered this book to my brother. And I think it was just released. Nobody even knew about it, right? Yes. Just released. And then, by the way, it was probably, um, when was it? It was probably the late 70s, early 80s, something like that. And uh, so my brother was competing. And he said, hold this for me. And I'm walking around with this book in my hand and everybody identified with that book. And I got people bowing to me left and right. Like I'm somebody, I'm like, they just had to, they just assumed I had to be somebody in order to have that book in my hand. So and, I didn't. And you are rightfully so. Yeah. Clearly I didn't read it. Uh, didn't, didn't even know what I was holding, but it was like, it was like a bomb. I mean, it's like I got attention from everybody. I got a bomb in my hand. But but that's wonderful because there's even a, a wonderful x-ray of a trained hand and an untrained hand just to show the bone density of something that's used to taking impact and load, which is, again, a form of gravity, right? You know, speed, acceleration, it, it compounds the amount of load that's taking on a fist or a shin condition or, run, or running or loading, which is a wonderful way to, you know, pr uh, prevent osteoporosis, osteopenia, right, which is just for overall health. You know, if you want to look at running from a health perspective, it's like everyone's suffering from astronaut's disease because they're they're inactive. They don't load their joints, tendons, ligaments, muscles, and bones in a proper sequence that it spreads the force over a surface area of fascia and kinetic chains. And so whenever there's an injury, there's a kink in the link in those chains sure. to, to go back to that one, sure. two, three, three, two, one kind of thing. And I think... My grandfather, you know, that's why I've mentioned my grandfather, Huangi, because I owe a lot of my influence to him. That's why I have to pay homage. You know, I didn't just come up with it. I was raised with this operant philosophy of, and he believed in, you know, true martial arts is defensive in terms of it's, it's only used to defend yourself. And it's not just a philosophical thing. It's physiological in the sense that when someone strikes you, that's a form of gravity, right? Like impact force, joint summation, something coming at you, blunt force trauma that you somehow had to use compression or short elasticity. You have to yield and then use that defensive yielding to load your striking. So it's just like boxers can use a slip to load a body punch. It's very similar. Or to jump, you compress or shift to one side to jump to the other side. That That's just human nature. Right. And 
that's what we're working off of this DNA of human nature movement of stored elasticity loading up in relation to gravity and then using that stored elasticity or that compression of that, you know, that compression expansion and relying on that energy system that perpetuates because you and I standing here breathing, we're still, our heart is still beating, our digestion is still working. So these are all sis, one system synergistically working well together. And I think that's what's so important is we have to, we have to fire drill, train our body to work as a unit. Because if we don't, then we have all these independent systems that never learn to work um, interdependently. And that's what everybody complains about in terms of business or work or bureaucracy. I, I sent the file into your office and well, I didn't get it. It's still in accounting or it's still here or still there. And that's basically what an injury is, is when you fall or you do something, the kinetic force leaked out somewhere that shouldn't have leaked out, whether it's a hernia, whether it's an elbow joint, and I think the more you can practice unification or flow, however you want to label it, teamwork. I, I don't really care what, what your bias of right, language, sure. right? But that is the most important thing that's universal for longevity for an average person, which is the foundation for high level performance. Absolutely. And, and uh, so that, that was kind of my epiphany. It's like, I thought, I thought to myself, I said, why am I chasing these old birds down with the, the gobbledygook that they've been selling us for so many decades and years and just following suit, you know, because I feel that there's something else going on. And so just for fun, I thought, why am I even looking at anybody else? All I have yes. to do is get my printer out, attach it to my, my computer and start downloading reports from the thousands of athletes that I've, I've worked with. Right. And so I started looking at commonalities. I started looking at age. I started looking at uh, genders and I started looking at, um, you know, their strength to weight ratios, just kind of getting a sense. I didn't want to go like in really obese populations or really young or old populations. I just commonly people that are in it. So from like 20 to 50 years old, somewhere like that, and start looking at the responses from the testing I did on them. Right. And so it, I, it occurred to me, I said, I got people just through conversation. I find, for example, you know, obstacle course racing became such a big deal. I, I'd be testing people that were, they were, their thing was to do an ultra beast. So it's 30 okay. miles up and down a mountain at elevation. And I test them and find that their, their anaerobic threshold, if you're going to look at that, be 120 beats per minute. And they'd spend 75% of the time 40, 50 beats above that for hours. Right. I'm like, how is that possible? Right. If we're relying on this aerobic energy system in order to conduct the business, how is he right. able to do this? Because he was anaerobic the whole way. And I started seeing more and more of this. And um, I uh, started to realize, well, there's more to it than that. And so I started looking at some of the clinicians, some of the great clinicians in the world uh, George Brooks, who's, you know, all about the lactate um, shuttle system, that he's basically the father of understanding that. And started looking at these guys that were really taking a look at lactate. Right. Things like uh, dealing with uh, brain trauma in hospitals, that they wow. tradi traditionally have been giving people glucose drip because they, they can't feed themselves, right? Right. You come to find out that by providing them with lactate, they healed faster. Wow. They were actually doing better on lactate than they were doing on the, on the glucose strips. 
And who would have thought that, right? So yeah. I started looking at uh, lactate as an energy source. And we've chronically been avoiding going into this lactate threshold, right? We don't want to go anaerobic. Oh, we've got to stay away from being anaerobic because, you know, it's, it's, it's the devil. we got to keep away from it. <clears throat> and I started looking at, well, you know, I got a world champion, uh, Hunter McIntyre, who is, by the way, is going to go to Europe in a couple of weeks and win the world championship in high rocks again, which is an hour's worth of high intensity functional exercise, right? Wow. So going from one kilometer race runs to a skier, to uh, a farmer carry, to burpee broad jumps, to what, whatever it was for eight different exercises. Sure. And I've tested him over seven years, right? Wow. And in the beginning, when I was testing him, I was developing an, an endurance athlete. Yes. And then by choice, he decided, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to do CrossFit. So he went right. crazy into lifting a lot of weight. Then he went into right. high rocks. And then all Perfect. through this, I'm testing him, and I'm seeing that his threshold's dropping, but his performance is going up. His, his aerobic capacity, if you want to call it that, is actually right. failing, but his right. anaerobic ca capacity is flourishing. So I find his threshold clinically at 130 beats per minute, and he's doing this event at 170 beats per minute, and he, he testifies that I've never been as healthy as, and fit as I am right now in my life. Well, so how does that happen, right? So it's a function, you know, people talk about tolerance, lactate tolerance. Well, it isn't really about just tolerating the lactate. It's about developing a kinship with that energy as opposed to it taking you out. How can I put this to work for me, right? And yes. it's a function of the way you train. And so yes. the absence of being involved in that component of your energy system uh, is a mistake. So I, when, I, when I guide people through a training process, uh, every workout they do, there's going to be a point where they're going to go nearly maximum effort. It may only be for 30 seconds. You know, yes. it, it, it may be a couple times, 30 seconds in the course of an hour, and a lot of it being aerobic because it, dominantly they need to be aerobic. But right. I don't want them to fear that intensity. I right. want them to flourish when they get into that high intensity. And by the way, <laughs> this works out really well with fighters. Right. I, I, I've worked with fighters, uh, you know, in traditional boxers. Uh, oh, my guy's great. You know, he, he runs 10 miles a day. And I'm like, why? Aren't you fighting three-minute rounds? Yeah. What do you want to go out at a low intensity for 10 miles? Correct. And, and tell me you survived that and, and put in two hours on a heavy bag. So you've got a tremendous amount of endurance, but you've got no power. Correct. You know, you're not prepared for the battle, right? You just, right. You know, but they're just doing what people used to do, right? So right. they think, oh, you got to run a lot if you're going to be a great athlete. No. No, I, no. And I agree with you. And it, it it's funny because you and I have very similar foundational beliefs, you know, and, and again, your field of expertise is energy systems and lactates. That's not my field. Mine, mine is movement. But what I find, just like you find people are avoiding the lactate threshold and that anaerobic system in my world, I find most people are like, well, I need to mobilize or stretch a joint. They never think to load the joint and the muscle, right? Which is, they don't want to go to that uncomfortable feeling of pressure and perceived temporary failure right right because they would rather just mobilize or stretch or traction it which is the opposite of what they need again they're they have this you know great aerobic capacity but you know they're not sourcing and tapping this lactate or dip discomfort basically in training so 
and I agree with you with, with fighters, you know, steady state, you know, road work. I told them they're, they're better off doing a half mile of combinations where they jab, cross, step, you know, kick or shoot because it reinforces skill development and the systems that they're going to need to use anyway, as opposed to running, you know? And, and I too came to this conclusion working with a lot of, from amateur to the championship level in terms of uh, MMA fighters, how to work what I, and now I use it with gen pop because most people are very pressed for time. They want to work out, but they don't, they don't have the time, right? Or they're busy, right? So I developed a thing called perpetual motion training where it basically takes something very low level, low taxing as a base thing that they, they default to in movement. Because with fighters, I always had to move, so they were always perpetually moving as rest. So whether it's footwork, it depends on, on the fighter and what they need to work on. Sprawling, it doesn't matter what the skill set, or just balancing on one leg, meaning if they, they were great on the ground, but they didn't have great balance standing and striking, I had them just swing their leg on one leg just to build the capacity to balance on one leg, not even kick, just right. have good balance on one leg, right, as, <clears throat> as a deep and then have something middle, like a second gear, where it's medium in terms of taxing, where it's somewhere in between that they could sustain it, but it's above something base like plantar flexion or, you know, footwork, which is second nature to them. This is like, it's almost like walking to, to jogging per se, right? And then the third throttle is the sprint. And they touch that through speed or some type of power explosion because they need to retain that ability even when they're fatigued to be able to pop up a few of those out to change the amplitude and the speed to surprise their opponent even when they're tired because when they're tired they're just gassing people think you got nothing left what what right. ali did to foreman you know with the rope a dump like yeah. he kept telling foreman is that all you got and he just laid against the ropes and foreman's like yeah that that literally is all i have and, <laughs> you know so, you know, but, but to teach someone to be in that state of fluidity or flow to then, then have that speed intermittently is very important for just people in general and survival. And when I get people to build up the capacity and the courage to explore a full match jump explosiveness or a, a relatively heavy weight for them, like an 80% one, one RM for a few repetitions, in the scope of all these other repetitions, they get a great deal of work because they don't need to do one rep max because they're not powerlifting. But do they need to do a heavy enough weight that it creates some type of low and steady gear pull? Yes. To integrate the body without a doubt, just to test the structure. And I think that is really important. And that perpetual motion training then gets a ton of work in a short period of time. And it teaches them adaptability. So when they feel bad, they do more first and second gear than they do third, but they still do some third gear stuff. Whereas when they're feeling great, there's a lot more intermittent turbo boost in there for them. And within the same time, you know, it, and it adapts to their ability, you know? Yeah, it's absolutely correct. I think that, uh, um, you know, facilitating a variety of muscle structure. So it isn't just about staying in that slow twitch fiber and expecting the fast twitch fibers to pro provide for you. If you need that snap, you need to you need to visit that snap. You need to get into that intensity. Correct. And, and so the, then what I see a lot is when people go that to that gear, they go there too often. 
So they're going to go in and they go, I got to go hard. So they go hard as they can. They get gassed and they start failing. They start teaching themselves to fail right. and or, or shorting up the duration of the, the sustainability of the effort that they're trying to uh, put out there. So right. if you kind of dip into it and come out of it, dip into it and come out of it, and then you'll see progression in your capacity to hold on to that intensity, produce right. more intensity and sustain right. more intensity. But if you right. go right into that intensity and just try to stay there, it'll beat you right. down. And then right. you just keep teaching yourself to fail. You know, yes. and, and it, metabolically, you're teaching yourself to fail because right. your, your, your energy system is just not allowing for it. It's just and your right. central nervous system identifies the problem and says, no, no, pal, I'm shutting this down. You're killing yourself. I'm not going to allow it. I'm shutting it down. And, right. and so you look at guys, uh, Dr. Tim Noakes out of uh, South Africa. He wrote yes. uh, The Lore of Running. OK, yes. And uh, started looking at some of the stuff he talking about. He talked about the central governor theory, which to me was probably one of the coolest things I've seen in exercise phys since since I got into it. Is understanding that your central nervous system is it's on all the time, and it's Correct. making judgment calls about what you're going to be allowed to do and Correct. what you're not going to be allowed to do, because you Correct. put yourself in a, in a dangerous position, and your brain says, "No, I'm going to stop this from happening." And it could very well be that it throws lactate at you to shut you down. It could very well be that it throws heel striking at you to stop you from moving forward. Correct. You know, there, there's these 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 uh, unknown factors that are at play that are orchestrated by the central nervous system all the time. So, you know, giving back to your analogy of a fighter, his mind's telling him, I got to go hard, I got to go hard, I got to go hard. And, and yeah, you probably do, but you have to earn it. Right. You, you have to earn your way into that intensity. And that Correct. might mean that you've got to shuttle back a little bit, but still Correct. in and out, Correct. in and out, in and out, and then progressively start to see it. And I, you know, with, uh, I've been doing a lot of work with these high rocks athletes because I find that really fascinating because, you know, the challenge is you got to, you're familiar with this high rocks competitions? No. Okay. So high rocks was born out of uh, Hamburg, Germany, I think it is. Okay. And so they created this functional fitness competition. So it's indoor. Okay. And the way it works is it starts out with a one kilometer run indoors. Okay. And then you go straight to a uh, concept two skier, right? One right. kilometer. Right. Then back out for another one kilometer run. You right. come back, you get on a, um, a sled, pu sled push. Okay. With the elites are 445 pounds on the sled. And I think it's uh, uh, 200 meters. I think you got to push. Wow. Okay. And then you go out and run one kilometer, and then you come back and you do a sled pull. I think it's like 350 pounds. Same thing, 200 wow. meters. Then you go out for another 1k run. Then you come back, and then then you do like a farmer carry. I think it's 70 pound dumbbells. Uh, then you then you one wow. kilometer run, and then you do uh, a lunge walk with uh, 80 pounds. I think it is on your back. And then you, so every exercise you do a one kilometer run. So there's eight one kilometer runs. The final, wow. exer the final exercise is uh, a wall ball. So you're going to, you're going to do the wall balls. You got to do a hundred repetitions and the wall balls, uh, 20 pounds. So wow. when, when your body is absolutely gassed, you got to finish it up with this wall ball. 
Right. So my client is now the reigning world champion. He's he's finished it in 54 minutes. Okay. Ooh. 54 minutes. Right. Um, and I'm telling you, I looked at this as said, if there's ever been a challenge to your energy system, this is it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, there's other ways to challenge your energy system, but um, if you run incorrectly, it's going to cost you. Correct. If you go too hard anywhere along the way, it's going to cost you. So trying to feather the intensity, feather, you know, the, the cost of work and then surviving it and plus beating everyone else. It's, it's pretty cut and dry, right? Um, yeah. Where obstacle course racing, a lot of it's got to do with the terrain. You know, some people better on the flats, some people better in the climb, some people better right. at altitude, some others. Right. Um, so, but this never changes. This is, the competitions are all over the world now and they, they're set up the same way. So it's, it's a, a very interesting way to define who is the best at this sport, which is, I think is very cool. And it's easy for me as a coach to, you know, look at the elements that need to be prepared for and, and approach it. But again, uh, not to get off point with this, but the concept is the same. It's, it's, uh, you have a task and it requires intensity and how uh, effectively you can deliver this intensity. So, you know, working against inertia is not going to go go well. Um, right. Putting yourself in a position where gravity is working against you, it's not going to go well. Loading right. the body in such a way that you're not prepared to do it, not effective with it, it's not going to go well. So all of these factors come into play. I mean, you know, you're a movement specialist. You know, I, I don't consider myself a movement specialist so much. Um, to some degree, I, I play with it. But um, really what I look at is what is it costing you to do things? Right. I had a guy in my lab the other day to give you an idea. This guy's trying to set a world record for pull-ups 24 hours. Okay. Um, the record currently for 24 hours pull-ups is 8,088 pull-ups. Okay. In 24 hours. Right. So this guy's uh, bent on uh, breaking that world record. I think he's right. able to. He's gone past so for over 5,000 in 12 hours. Right. I did a VO2 max test on him while he was doing pull-ups. Right. And the idea was to determine what the interval should be in the recovery through the course of the work. Because obviously you're not going to keep going until you, you break. That's right. not going to work. So you got to govern the amount of work you're doing and the amount of recovery you're going to get so that you can get the more work done in that period of time. Right. And he got a hold of me and said, look, I'd like to take a look at this. You know, do you think it would be any, any benefit to me? I said, well, we're looking at the cost of work and, and we're looking at how to govern the cost of work. So, yeah, I think it, I told him, I said, come see me. I said, if it doesn't make any sense after we've done it, you know, I'm not going to charge you anything. You know, if it, if we get something from it that you think is going to be of value, you know, then you can pay me. But I'm more that. curious than, than not, you know, I just want to see what it does. But I concur with you because I also am curious. A lot of times I don't know. People come to me, motocross, jujitsu, and I said, well, you know, and they, they show me the setup, you know, and how they have to throttle but break. So it's not like they they have to contest with the forearm pump and fatigue, but it's not just a, a death grip right in my, there's a throttle, there's, you know, there's there's a hit, you know, clutch. They're showing me all these things. So there's sophistication in that, right? There's a structure that has to shift and do all these kind of things. So teaching them capacity and articulation, whether it's throwing, you know, a, a weighted club or rotation that's what gives them the ability to manage that work capacity that 
creates that, like you said, Absolutely. that 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 pump, and then that neural fatigue where they don't even feel they could even move their fingers because they're so swollen, right? Yeah, you know. So I agree with you a hundred percent, and I love. I like you. I'm very curious. I'm like, I'll tell people. People call me. Been in this car accident. I was like, they're like, you're gonna take me. I said, I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see if we can do anything. And if we can't, yeah. there's no charge. You know, like I'm the same. I'm I'm just like you. Let's see if we can help and do anything. And if we can't, then we can't. You know, and and I'm very willing and very creative. And and I love that. You know, because the whole point is coordination. The displacement of coordination shows the first phase of disintegration. When people start losing their coordination, when they start stilting, taking a stutter step, you know, a heartbeat, the healthy heart can increase and decrease at will as long as it maintains the heartbeat. It's when it has irregular heartbeats, when there's backflow, that's just like a drum beat. Whenever you miss a beat, that's when there's an issue, right? And it's the same thing with movement. When you miss a step in a dance competition, that's when there's an issue. When you miss a landing in gymnastics or something buckles or something twists, that's when there's an issue. And that then perpetuates poor relationship with gravity, which then ends up with the ankle rolling, ends up with muscles compensating for poor structure with tension, whether it's uh, mechanical breathing tension, whether it's muscular tension, and that's not going to suffice. And you know, a really good example, I don't know if you saw it, Netflix had a wonderful special, it was a Korean special called Physical 100. So I it was a- parts of it, yeah. Yeah, it was great. And the reason why I liked it is because it showed, irregardless of what your particular background is, there were, they had Olympians, they had bodybuilders, they had lifters, you know, they did such varied things as like a dead arm hang. They did, but what I thought was brilliant was when they had to eliminate like three people, they had like a basic, shuttle run they had people run to one end tap a buzzer run to the other end tap a buzzer and they the time just kept getting shorter and shorter so initially it was like nothing they you could walk the distance and tap the buzzer in the time walk the distance and then all of a sudden okay now you have you know 90 seconds and it's like okay i gotta go a little faster and then you know 60 seconds 30 seconds you know 20 seconds 10 seconds to make that same distance and what was really interesting was that the people who were able to maintain some type of pacing or structure or or rhythm or flow again whatever you want to label it as yeah whether it's running rope climbing pulling pushing it doesn't matter the most important thing is that they were self-contained in their own system right and, and that's the most important they did something as simple as flipping tiles so you were team white and i was team black so i had to flip all the tiles to white you had to flip all the tiles to black and they were very light. They were just little tile, cardboard tiles. But to squat down or bend over and flip as many tiles as possible to get the dominance of your color, your team color, right. was exhausting to people. I'll bet, yeah. I'll you bet. know? And I love that. I love that that's the most important thing is to teach people to perpetuate. You want longevity, you have to train with longevity. You have to train integrated perpetuation. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, and I find too that uh, as a coach, my biggest frustration is, and I, I always preface conversation with clients when they come to see me, whether it be a group or otherwise, with, I said, the the one thing I hope to be, be when you leave 
is you walk away saying, well, that was logical. That, yes. That made sense to me. You know what I mean? You don't have to, you don't have to buy into what I'm telling you, but at least look at it and say, well, yeah, I could see where that would make sense. Right. Because if I don't, if I can't get into your head well enough for you to at least feel like, okay, this old guy's logical, if nothing else. Uh, and then I try to, I try to um, make sure that they, they see the light as time goes through. Cause I'm training, I'm changing people. I'm transitioning them from the mistakes that they've made, made for a lifetime into my way of thinking for lack of a better way of expressing it. Correct. And the explanation is this is why I feel this is important to you. This is what you need to be doing. And this is why. And from a physiological perspective, from inertia perspective, I just make that argument and say, look, you know, you're you're colliding with the earth every time you leave the ground and come back. You, you don't want to have to recover from that collision. You virtually want to hit the ground running. You don't yes. want to you don't want to recover from a collision and then try no. to gather yourself up and run again. No. And so my frustration comes from them leaving them being successful in my presence, meaning that I was able to convert them successfully. And the words out of their mouth is, wow, that felt good. That felt easier. That didn't hurt my, whatever, you know? And so we have success that day. And then social media is the, the, the tell all, right? So I see people on social media, they can't help it. They got to show the little video of them running or whatever. And I'm like, what the hell happened? I said, where did I lose this guy? You know, yeah. or I create that explanation of why there's so much corruption in the type of shoe that they're wearing. You know, yeah. and believe me when I tell you, I have no love for any shoe manufacturer. So there's not a there's not a good guy and a bad guy. There's just yeah. a lot of corruption in the industry where all they're really doing is preying on people that don't know any better and putting shoes on them that they feel the gimmick is going to sell more shoes, right? And so I just lay it out there and say, look, this is what your foot is. Just... By the way, I, I've done almost all the clinics I do. I'll have people run barefoot. Yeah. I'll put them in a, in a natural surface area, have them all take their shoes and socks off and have them run. And mm -hmm. almost instantaneously, they all do it right. Because instinctively, their bodies know what's supposed to happen yeah. when, when, they, when they're you know, making contact with the earth. The shoes right. are what gets in the way, causes them to get creative license or make mistakes right. and whatever. But uh, then I see them wearing these crazy fangled damn shoes yeah. because their friends got a pair of them, right? Yeah. So <laughs> my my words of wisdom were dashed aside simply because the relationship with their their tribe outweighed better judgment. <laughs> it, you know. Two things, you know, you talk about making sense. That is the most frequently stated comment after I work with someone. Oh, that makes sense. You know, this makes sense. And and they feel good, right? They're like, my knee no longer hurts or this. Or, yeah, yeah. So they think it's miraculous when it's just, you know, it's just better movement. Like you said, you're, you're they're not reorganizing themselves. They're, con they're just moving well. And, you know, maybe like six months ago, I was in L.A. working with this well-known UFC fighter, you know, and he's top tier fighting for the belt kind of level. And I was working with him, his coaches, you know, world-class and I was showing him some stuff. And then he was telling me, yeah, man, I do this, 
this mobility drill from this guy on Instagram. And I laughed. I literally laughed at him. I said, you have one of the leading physical therapists who's worked with Kobe Bryant in your corner. And he prefers to be influenced by doing some something he saw on TikTok or Instagram. You know, I literally laughed, you know, because it's like, because that's what you're encountering. I run into that quite a bit because again, the mainstream, you know, most people are injured. Most people have back issues and knee issues. And, you know, I was up in Long Island at the police academy working with uh, law enforcement and first responders in regards to, because with all their gear, you know, they're sitting in vehicles, whether it's ambulances or, or cars and their backs are all jacked up. Yeah. And it's so funny because they're used to what? Let me do an inversion table. Let me go to a car, you know, like, and they've tried it. They've done it. They've gone to 16 paid professionals. They've gone to physio, physical therapists, orthopedics. They've gotten cortisone shots. They've, they've tried devices. They, they, they've tried acupuncture. They've tried everything. Right. And it, it's so funny, actually, the, the, the physician for the uh, police actually hired me. I had a session with them the other day and I checked in with them today and he goes, I love what we did. He goes, it was so refreshing. But to me, it's actually very traditional and conventional in the sense that it's natural. It's not, it's not conventional in terms of popular, but it just goes back to laws of gravity and biomechanics. But to me, you know, what he finds refreshing, it's like, it's just logical. And he's like, I loved it. He goes, and I'm going to, I'm going to refer you to, to a bunch of my colleagues. That's what he messaged. Right. Cause nobody, most trainers again, think like, Hey, let's do, cardio and then let's do bicep and tricep or let's do a skill of a bench press or a squat but why and again there's there's not a lot of logic to that and it's it's silly because even people who want to quantify like a bench press for say they make sure they put their hands in the same spacing to quantify whether they're going up or down in weight but when i ask those same people who power lift or do crossfit or whatever the 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 modality is, is why aren't your feet equidistant? Most people get under a bar and then they step out and it's random. And then go into a squat. I go, if you're that meticulous about quantifying and measuring, like, so if you see on social media, people starting, and I sold this for martial arts from this V footing, a footing, W footing. So they're this, so that they get into an equidistant stance for sumo deadlifts, double a for, for wide, you know, I influenced social media that way in terms of, hey, at least do this because this makes right. sense and it's right. congruent with what you're doing with your upper body. So that's how you got to start, Richard, is, is start with something small and then plant your, when they say that makes sense and you, and you appeal to them that way, then you get a whole bunch of people who influence a whole bunch of other people. So whenever I see people doing that, I could be like, I don't know this guy. Where did this guy learn it? And I saw who he learned from. And that was someone who I, so you could always just like the lineage of my grandfather right. to Chuck Norris, to me or to, to my uncle, you can follow that lineage. So I think that lineage is important, not only in terms of transmission of generations, but I think the way I do movement is it's neurological development. I don't do body parts. I do in terms of base stability, shifting weight, and then counterbalancing motion. Right. And that's, well, that's, it. that's all integration. So that's, that's, that's the, the, I tell people, I hate when people tells me, tell me something like, uh, oh, well, you got muscle memory. And, and, and my comment is always, no, you don't understand. Muscle is stupid. It's like the dumbest right. part of your body, right? Right. Your fascia 
has more nerve endings and more information created to move that muscle than I said. So stop talking to me about muscle memory. You, it, as soon as that muscle's done a task, it's, it's going to forget what it did. It needs feedback from the, from the connective tissue to know what to do. And that's going to come from the central nervous system. So neurologically, you need to be in touch. You need to be thinking about how the body responds relative to task. Right. And, and so, again, it's, I don't know, it's, it's uh, I don't want to keep sounding like I make it sound like a struggle. It's just, it's, it's hard when you, you feel really passionate about a, a, a circumstance. Right. And you see people, they just, they're so, they're so quick to fall out. You know, they're just, whatever is popular, you know, show me something popular and I'm in, right? It doesn't have to do with what makes sense or doesn't make sense. It's got to do with what's popular. What's Correct. the fad now? Let's go do that, right? right? Right. Oh, man, it's just frustrating. But it's, you know, I mean, you, you like me, we've been in it for forever, right? I've been doing this kind of thing forever. And yes. I, you know, I could feel your passion. I, I, I realized that uh, you do this because you love to do this, right? And, you know, I, I'm 70 years old now. And uh, that's fantastic. believe me, it, my neurology needs a little bit of help. <laughs> but, but uh Hey, in all the years time, I've been doing, I don't have to time, think about retiring. Analysis on me, and I'm happy to help you with. We're anything. done, done deal. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, uh, I, uh, I look at it like you know, a lot of guys can't wait to retire. They want to be done. You know, right. God, I can't wait. I got four more years, and I get to retire. We want to keep more. doing. It. No, yeah. this this is what I do. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I didn't do what I do. I really I don't agree. know. I mean, if I if I won the lottery tomorrow. I don't, I'd probably have a bigger house right. only because my wife would want it. Uh, uh, might have a, a fancy car. I don't know. Right. I don't know what, you know, seriously rich people do with their money, right. but I wouldn't change what I'm doing. I might, I might change my fee structure. I might not do, I might not charge anybody. Like, right. You know, I'd be a little bit more selective right. about who I see. Correct. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to see that guy today, you know, but you know, I'm, I'm still going to be fascinated with, with the outcomes and, and you know, this, the challenges like you, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I said, the body to me is like a Rubik's cube. You know, you throw me the Rubik's cube and I'm trying to figure out which way it's got to be twisted or turned to end up in a, in a positive result. And Correct. it doesn't make a difference what the task is. You yeah. identify what the, what, what, what gravity's dictating, what the challenge might be one way or the other. And then you, you start working towards a solution, you right. know, to be external loading, the weights and circumstance that you apply, that's just toys to help you get into a better position. You know? Correct. Yeah. Well stated. Well stated. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of body weight exercise. You know, Me too. I, I tell yeah. people constantly, it's like, if you can't command your own body, you have no business picking up any weights. Correct. You know, you can't do you a pull-up. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Can't do a pull-up, but you're going to want to get on, you know, some machine and lift a lot of weight. It's like, I don't know. I just can't squat. Can't can't get, get into a successful squat, and then you want to try to load the bar up with, you know, twice your body weight and try to struggle through it at some sacrifice range of motion because you can't pick it up. And then compromise your spine and everything else because, you know, you're trying to be out there with the big boys, right? right. You know? So anyway. Hey, people People can't do a push-up without wrist pain or shoulder pain, you know, just yeah. a basic push. Yeah. Anyway, 
So you're, you're operating uh, exclusively out of New Jersey. Is that where you're at? You know, I'm based out of New Jersey, but, you know, all my clients are pretty much spread all over the world. You know, I, I, I especially during quarantine, I, I was very busy on Zoom because I was already consulting with people. So, like, even with coaches, like if they had a fighter in the UFC in Dubai, I would get like video or a FaceTime call the night before just to check in on their shoulder or, or some type of issue that they wanted addressed immediately, you know? So I do consults like that and um, I'm global. You know, I used to travel before quarantine, I traveled quite a bit, you know, I would literally travel, come home, do laundry, repack, and then head out right away. So. That's you know, I'm kind of glad quarantine broke that cycle up for me because I didn't know how to say no to people because I enjoy it so much, yeah. you know, and then uh, now I'm just trying to find that balance where I'm starting to go out. I was in Long Island last week and I want to start, you know, venturing out again with a, a nice balance, you know. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm lazy I, when it comes to travel. I, I just I got to a place where I had enough of it. So, you know, I told my wife. I said, you know, she's basically my partner. She'll travel with me and she's, you know, she's involved. And my wife has been doing this work with me for as long as I've been with her. Right. Uh, and uh, I told her, I said, man, I just don't want to travel anymore. And I, I made it public. I said, I am not going anywhere. You want to see me, you got to come see me. Right. right. And uh, when I moved out here to Tennessee, um, I thought, you know what, I got to get back to work. I got to start traveling again. So. I made myself available. That's why I ended up in New Jersey. I was down in uh, Florida and doing a few things out this way. But um, I just really have been kind of lazy with it. You know, unless somebody actually calls me up and says, hey, look, I want to do something. Right. I, I just haven't been that fluid. I, just, I, I need to. I, what I need is I need a marketing manager that just tells me, hey, look, you're going to be in Chicago next week. Right. Uh, you're going right. to be, you know, just just handle that part of things. Tell me where to go. Tell me what, what I, you know, I, knew, I know what I got to do when I get there. Just point me in the right direction and handle yeah. all the rest of it. And then uh, we'll go from there. But I don't know. I've been having people talk me into doing kind of a mentoring program. Oh, that's great. I like that. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I started looking at it once upon a time. And I started to realize how much work's going to actually go into it. It's not like, it's not actually like, I'm going to get away with it, right? It's not like I'm going to get away with it. I'm going to have to put in some work. I actually put yeah. in more work, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had a guy look at me one day. He goes, you know, the guy took me, the guy took me to dinner. Okay. didn't even know the guy. So he was a father of one of my clients. So my dad wants to take you to lunch or dinner or whatever. I said, why? He goes, well, he just wants to talk to you. I said, I didn't want to say no because, you know, it's my client's father and so I showed up and he started asking me all these questions about my history and all this and that because he knew something because I've been working with his son. And he goes, I got it. I know exactly what you need to do. And I'm fascinated. So really, I said, what do I got to do? He said, well, he goes, uh, you're going you're gonna to create a mentoring program. Rather than going around and doing what you're doing now, you're going to teach people to do what you do. Mm. He goes, and we're going to get them to come to you to learn from you. And then you could, you know, disseminate your information. And he goes, uh, you're, you're going to make 10 times what you earn today. And uh, that's, that's the solution for you. He goes, that's what you need to do. He goes, you're, you're working way too hard. And ultimately, you won't have to work as much and probably just eventually just not have to do it at all if you don't want to. Right. And I thought, well, I don't know. 
And uh, so I, it's been it's been in the back of my head. Uh, and I honestly, I, I'm not terribly sure what I'm going to do. But I think it's a great idea. I just think you just have to be prepared. You know, people learn things very differently now. They're very distracted. Yeah. They do require a lot of information. You know, people people tend to not finish one book. They tend to read multiple books, you know, and, and not finish many of them or absorb many. And then they don't even, you know, citing a source is like a foreign concept because they don't remember where they heard what. Because, they're you know, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or a YouTube video or a podcast or whatever. And, you know, people are going to listen to this podcast while they're washing dishes, running, doing whatever the, the case may be. And I, I think, you know, there's something to be said with targeted focus, just like there's amplitude of lactate threshold or short burst, those are important to intermingle and have, you know, even strength training. You don't have to do a ton of volume to be healthy. You just, you need, you know, once a week, maybe to, and not a ton just to stay strong, just to stay healthy. You know, I think for most people, it, it doesn't require much, you know, but you have to do it. You know, you have to, you, it's the same thing with cardio. You don't like cardio, but you, you still need to move smoothly. So it's not even like, should I sit on a machine and just let the machine do most of the mechanical work? No, you should literally just be in a position, you know, even I always convert people, like even people on an elliptical, I'll have them compress, lift their heels up and just like they're hunting or they're trying to be quiet. So they don't last very long on the elliptical like they normally do when they're in this compressed com position where they're like, quads are burning their core is activated they're not leaning on the machine right you know and and that's the whole point right is to facilitate them get like is your is their goal to reach 40 minutes on the machine is or is their goal to create an adaptation is to increase you know the resting metabolism you know is to affect change and that's what people always lose sight of is their original mission statement right well yeah and it, it becomes then the other thing is they're busy right so they, yeah, they want to try to condense as much uh, uh, response in the yes. least amount of time possible, right? Yes. And so, yeah, that, there's always that. So it's it's a challenge. I don't know. I mean, we all have our challenges, but uh, well, I got to tell you, I, I I really enjoyed speaking with you, and uh, we need to one day get together. You know, For sure. I think it would be fun. Uh, maybe we'll we'll do something collectively somewhere. I don't know. I love yeah, I think you know what I mean. It's like these meetings come together for a reason. Yeah, I believe that. Right, you run into people in your life for a reason, sure. and uh, it may not be apparent to you initially, but with time, it just bears bears itself out. And you're uh, welcome. And uh, we will we will visit again. Thank you so much, and thank you for this time, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you.